Everyone down in Cyberville liked data science a lot, but the Grinch who lived just north of Cyberville did not. The Grinch hated data science without any reason. Now please don't ask why, it might just be the season. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be, perhaps, that his parameters were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his VM was two sizes too small. Whatever the reason, his machines or his tunings, he sat there on Twitter, hating all data science musings, staring down at his keyboard, frowning grinchy and mean, at the happy engagements in the rstats twitter stream for he knew all the scientists tweeting like crazy were showing off results no matter how hazy and they're posting their data viz he snarled with a sneer tomorrow they'll be interactive it's practically here then he growled with his grinch fingers nervously drumming I must find a way to stop data science from thriving. For tomorrow he knew, data scientists of all lots would wake bright and early, they'd rush to make plots. And then, oh the viz, oh the viz, 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 viz. That's one thing he hated, the viz, 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 viz. Then the data scientists, young and old, would open our studio, and they'd code, and they'd code, and they'd code, 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 code. They would code up our scripts and our markdown docs, which was something the Grinch couldn't stand for one talk. And then they'd do something he liked least of all. Every data scientist in Cyberville the tall and the small, would post together, both massive and tiny. They'd post, all at once, their apps all of shiny. They'd code, and they'd code, and they'd code, 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 code. And the more the Grinch thought of this data science app fest, the more the Grinch thought I must put this to rest. Why, for all of these years, I've put up with it now. I must stop this data science from continuing, but how? Welcome to episode 23 of the Data Driven Security Podcast. Joining me as usual is Bob Brutus. Bob, happy holidays. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Data Science Day! <laughs> I did not expect that one. Uh, so, Bob, this is a this is going to be a fun episode, I think. This is probably, I think, perhaps our best episode, Jay. Ever? Well, you know, episode zero may have been the best one ever because it was <laughs> kind of the inaugural one, but this is the second best ever. I okay, think. Yeah. good. Good. So we are talking tools. Who would that be? Oh, you mean tools of data science. Okay, like not actual people, yes, but tools actual data tools science. that we can use for data science. And even though you and I generally do R and, and other people do quite a bit of data science and Python and things like that, we aren't going to talk about either of those two. Uh, we figure there's enough resources out there. We're actually going to cover 
some introductory tools and and end up with uh, sort of on the complex side. Perhaps best of all, you don't need to listen to us talk a whole lot either. Yep. We've got three different guests coming on the podcast to talk about their tool that they, we tried to find experts in different tools and bring them on. And so they're going to come on and talk about the tools so you don't have to listen to us drone on about what we do. Absolutely. Oh, and Jay, at the end, we'll have a special gift-giving side for the data scientist in your holiday life. Excellent. A, a, a list, perhaps, of something? At, at least a list, yes. All right. Well, let's jump into our first tool. Bob, what is the first tool of the night? I believe, Jay, the first tool of the night, which may be a surprise to our listeners, is actually Microsoft Excel. And why why did we choose Excel, Bob? I you know I think one great reason to choose Excel for this is because we will, for folks who are actually stuck in an enterprise, especially we we will often be stuck with that as the only tool on our desktops that we are able to use. Right, a lot of folks can't install Python cannot install R at all. Their, their desktops are locked down from USB sticks. There's just no way to use any other tool easily. And for the most part, in most enterprises, Excel is a very readily available tool and is a perfectly acceptable tool to do very basic data science. And to talk about it, we got Wade Baker. Now, Wade Baker, uh, both Bob and I have worked uh, with him in the past. Uh, he's been with the uh, DBIR for several years since the beginning. He actually was one of the founders, or the founder. The godfather of the Data Breach Investigations Report. Yep. And uh, and he left, and he's at Threat Connect now. And we started out by asking him, how did he get here? Uh, it was a an odd path. I actually have an undergrad degree in management science, or sorry, uh, environmental science. I'll get to the management science part later, but environmental science. So... Um, I'm not really sure how that led to information security or cyber, as some call it, but uh, it eventually did. Um, in between that, I just found out, like a lot of people did in the um, back in the day when the internet web was developing, that computers could be more than a hobby, and did some sys administration, network administration, and things like that. Was around universities a lot and uh, was an instructor in a Cisco Network Academy for a while, and that's how what got introduced me to security. Uh, did They needed a person to go get PIX firewall certified, so uh, that was actually my first intro into the security realm from the IT realm. Liked it, liked the university setting, uh, wanted to be a professor. That drove me to apply for a PhD program Several rejected me. The one that accepted me was Virginia Tech. And I didn't know it at the time because they disguisingly named this program Business Information Technology, uh, which sounds like I could, I could do that because it had IT in there. But uh, what I didn't know that it was really a management science operations research program. So I got dropped in the middle of a PhD program that rather than being IT related was very heavy math um, and quant related. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there so I won't drone on forever. But uh, that was actually how I made the jump from uh, information security into the quant focused world. And then to survive, I just had to blend the two together basically. And uh, I think that uh, that's where we got. 
that's how I got here. Great. So you're on because of Excel. Right? <laughs> uh, I know in the past, Bob, you and I have not uh, played well talking about Excel. Is, is, but... is, is that a Microsoft product, Jay? Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just making. I'm just making sure that, like, I, I yeah. understand where it's placed in the realm of things. Okay. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that. Yeah, that one. But uh, you know, truth be told, there is strength with Excel. You can you can do some things, and you can do some things well in Excel. And so, in trying to think about that, Wade, you were the first person that came to mind because of your how do I put it fluency. With this particular, you, tool. you can't really call it Excel foo, right? That doesn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, actually, Wade, you know, to that degree, you know, as like our readers might not know, you know, you first of all are, and we probably haven't introduced introduced you properly. You are the godfather of the Verizon Data Breach Investigations Report, and the first, how many versions of the DBIR were actually produced with this tool? I mean, it was produced with Excel uh, until Jay showed up. So, uh, Jay, what was the first? I think 2013 was the first non-Excel yes, version. Yes, and, and that's when I noticed it started going downhill too. <laughs> <laughs> I think it lost a lot of readership at that point in time. Yeah. So, but it was all done in Excel, and and some of the graphics were done professionally. I know the the 2012 was done professionally. That's when I joined us, right at the 2012, and those graphics were done professionally, not with Excel. That is true. Yeah, we actually never used Excel to produce uh, graphics for the DBIR up until that point, except as sort of prototypes of, hey, this is kind of what we want it to look like, and then they'd go do it. So what when you when you turn to that tool and you turn to Excel, what what are the strengths that you're going for? Like, what, under what cases do you say, hey, Excel is the tool for this job? I'm just going to be honest, even though I know I'll get an uh, endless amount of crap for it later, of, uh, I mean, Excel is my hammer. And, you know, it, I pretty much will begin to apply it to anything. And and it's a an issue that goes back, uh, honestly, to the start of um, uh, the PhD program at, at Virginia Tech. Um, the professor there, my, my PhD advisor, I mean, literally wrote the book, Spreadsheet Modeling and Decision Analysis. That was his book. And, and, uh, and he is pretty well known. I mean, that book's like in its 10th version or something like that. Um, and I taught that class as his TA uh, for several years and, and took many classes that um, would apply Excel or some enhanced version of Excel for either an academic problem or a business problem. And so it was just four years of intense training and indoctrination into that. So, you know, everything from normal, when people think of Excel, they think of columns and rows and basic stuff like that. But, you know, we were doing optimization and simulation and other things like that, if you want to do, you know, we through something like at risk or risk solver, various add-ins to Excel to extend it. Statistical analysis, obviously, you know, graduate level stats courses often use Excel or they'll use SPSS or SAS or, oh, they, or something they, like yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. They probably, and, and that's a good point is that I think that switched probably since I was there over 10 years ago. But all that to say, uh, I have, for worse, I won't even say for better or for worse, 
my mind just thinks how I can solve a problem and model it in Excel. And some of that is due to that training. And, and if I, I have tried to use other things and it's, you know, it's a very deliberate exercise of unthinking in Excel and trying to think in something else. And it's not easy. <laughs> so one of the questions is, you know, uh, when, when do you turn to a different tool? What are the limitations of Excel? And I, I don't know if you can answer that because you just use it for everything. <laughs> well, um, uh, so I am, I would not, so, so stepping aside from what the tool can do, I am definitely more advanced with Excel than anything else. There, that's not to say I can do everything in Excel because I think the data breach report, like we were talking about earlier, is an excellent example of hitting a wall. Uh, Jay, when you showed up in 2013, I don't know if you remember the massive monster spreadsheets that we oh, yeah. were lugging around. And I mean, it was getting to the point where just the maintenance of that was causing major slowdowns in our ability to analyze the data. It would take forever to make a change. You know, when you start trying to segment data out, like, so, so it would already be uh, hundreds of dependent formulas, some of which would be V strung together V lookups and stuff like that that were three rows um, long. Right. Uh, so let's just forget about error checking that. I mean, that, that got difficult, but just making a change like, okay, now we want to look at just one industry. Well, you know, now that's a, almost a, either redo the whole thing or copy a version of the spreadsheet and that's the manufacturing one. And then we'd have to do it for all. It just got impossible. And I think that's the limitation of Excel when you begin to really dig in and want to study larger, I'm not going to say big data, but larger, more complex data sets like that. Yeah. And I think the, the error checking is probably one of the, that might be the, the Achilles heel of Excel, right? Because you've got all these formulas and cells and things like that. And if one of those cells gets, I don't know, off or corrupted or something like finding it and, and fixing it and having any sort of integrity check or validity check is almost impossible. On yeah, we, we actually have an example in the book. Um, it's actually one of the call-outs in one of the chapters. I, mm. it, it eludes me right now, but we actually we actually talk about how, you know, you can do really horrible things to data with Excel if you're not careful. Yep. Yep. And, and you know, I would not call myself an R expert by, by any stretch, um, but I I, you know, I tried to, to watch what you guys were doing and at least learn to, to read it and do a couple things every now and then. But I could read your code for when we were analyzing something and figure out, oh, you know, hey, we're making the wrong um, call okay. here. We have the wrong filter. Uh, doing that with Excel, you, first, you don't even know what page to be on. You have no clue which cells to search. You know, it's just awful to try to hunt something down like that. I, I'm actually more amazed that you could actually read Jay's R code. I mean, very much. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I can't believe you guys ever finished a book together. I know, I know. You know, it's sad because he makes jokes like that, and people believe him. Then, like, people walk away. Like, he's got people thinking that I'm a, a Ruby expert. He is. You know? <laughs> oh my God. So, listeners, like, Jay has transitioned to being a Ruby god right now. It's terrible. It's, it's, just, really, it's and really people funny. believe it when he says stuff like that. It's just embarrassing. Um, so Wade, back to Excel here. Here's actually a very serious question about Excel, Wade. Um, when you're working with Excel and you're trying to do something a little bit out of your comfort zone, you know, like you're you're trying to make it fit a solution and you need help. Now yeah. I know from experience trying to search the web for Excel help, it's it's hit or miss. Either you find it, you find it within like 10 seconds, or you're never gonna find it, and it'll take you an hour to come to that conclusion. 
Yeah. Right? Is that your experience as well? Uh, yes, and in fact, I will. Uh, I I won't interrupt to walk over, but I, I actually have several books of like you know, Excel 2003 formulas or something like that, and uh, that I would use if if something hit. But you know, I've I've hunted and and searched the web for uh, for help, and especially as you get into uh, you know, I, I think Excel, one of the things that's nice about it is kind of a platform and a lot mm. of things can sit on top of it. So even recently I was using, uh, and when I say recently, like last night, uh, was using Excel um, to run a Monte Carlo simulation just for, I keep trying to finish this last chapter of my dissertation, and was using a, a tool from Frontline Risk Solver, which plugs into Excel. Mm. And you know they had their own tutorials and all that kind of stuff, and hitting the web for for you know the function that I wanted and and how to do all of that. So go search. But you're right with Excel, especially since there's so much stuff out there with base Excel, it's kind of hard to find because you yeah. it's it's goes back years and there's different versions. And infuriatingly, Microsoft did different things with Mac version of Excel than it did with uh, Windows version yeah. of Excel, which makes it even worse. But but you say that right, and you've got folks like and I'm gonna really crucify his name because I've never heard it pronounced before. But like John Peltier or Peltier, or I have no idea how to pronounce it. You know, he does amazing stuff with some of the graphics related to R. And you've got Stephanie Evergreen and and Anne Emery, who both are consultants who do really good research work with a lot of firms that their primary the primary thing is Excel as well too. And they they do some good publishing of what they do and lots of cheat sheets and handouts. So. There are kind of, if you deal with the more modern versions of Excel and you're kind of following some of the more cutting edge stuff, there are kind of resources. There are resources for people to go out there to use. I mean, it is one of the most common tools on desktops. You don't have to get special privileges to have something else installed. You can start running right away with it and not have to worry about asking for more permissions for things like that. I mean, it's really a readily available tool for a lot of folks in enterprises especially. Yeah, and I'd say that's its biggest strength is, you know, it's it's there, it's available. It is kind of a de facto standard for um, most enterprises and what they use. And, um, yeah, so so it's uh, you can put it to use in many places, and, and it definitely has limitations. Uh, I still have a goal to get out of uh, Excel being sort of my, my main, but... Uh, uh, I will probably uh, ramp that up over the over the coming year after I finish this stinking dissertation, which requires me to use it. So you know. Well, I mean, but but you might not be locked into just the standard Excel frame too, right? Because with Revolutions now being part of Microsoft, they're already embedding R into the the SQL Server component, and there's probably a good chance that components of R, at least, or at least the data sciencey components of R. Are going to make their way back into Excel. So this is not a tool that's that ended really in any way, shape, or form. Like you're, I think we're going to see a lot. Microsoft adopt a lot of the other other practices and principles from other tool sets into this program. Yep, certainly uh, looks that way. And you know, I, I even see them doing that with uh, with things that they they haven't purchased. So you know, you get I've noticed in more modern versions of Excel data analysis tool pack and other other things are baked in or free add-ons that used to not be and um, you know there's some some perks like that so Wade, I got I got one more question for you and it's it's a serious question if you were going to give advice to a a young person starting out in data analysis how would you describe to them to to leverage excel and and would you tell them <clears throat> 
to to really figure it out or like what how would you tell what would you tell them about Excel and what how they should include it in their toolbox? I actually um, uh, I would advise not using it for most basics because statistical analysis I think is easier and uh, and better in R something like R visualization obviously is as well. I, I would, for most things that a data analyst is going to do, I, I think you just might as well learn another another tool. If you're a business analyst, you know, an accountant or something something like that, and Excel is going to be the language that your department is zipping around, then I think uh, I think you'll probably be just fine. And and I I don't know of any shops that significantly go outside um, of Excel for uh, for things like that. Yeah, I don't know. What what do you, you, you do you ever open Excel and do anything? You probably have a better perspective I, there, on it. There is such a, a very very infrequently. The only time I will do it every once in a while if I'm at a command line and I want to just look at a CSV without cat, you know, at the command line, I will pop it open in Excel and that is about the extent of my Excel work these days. Yeah, actually if if uh, listeners want if if you're on if you at least you're, if you're on a Mac, I mean if you're on a PC you probably could do this in other ways. Um, but if you're on a Mac, you, there's actually a if you use Homebrew, there's a Homebrew cask and we can link to it with this episode. Uh, that actually lets you hit use the the quick look plugins for OSX. You hit you can hit the space bar on any CSV file and actually get the entire CSV file in a scrollable preview field. You'll never have to open Excel again. Um, it actually works really well, and that's something I switched to about three or four months ago uh, for that particular thing. No, because I, mean, I I mean I'm the same way as UJ. I used to go into Excel to kind of do some quick previews of things versus do a yeah. read CSV in in R Studio or something like that, just because it's there and you can do it. Right. But since that uh, homebrew since I saw that homebrew cast thing, uh, I could just hit spacebar and get a quick 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 view and then know what I'm supposed to do with it. With, with okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Let's link to that in the show notes. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Wade. Thanks, guys. So, so as folks can see, Excel does have some some really good uses for for, for data science. But there are ways to do even more things um, with some type of you know interactive tool to be able to kind of take a look at data, present data. Uh, one of those is actually Tableau, and you know to to do that, we we actually um, had a talk with uh, Tom Elegante. He's, uh, he's got a Bachelor's of Arts in Information Systems and a Master's in uh, Business Administration, and he works for a large financial institution. And so again, we, we started out asking him, how did he get here? My background over the past seven or eight, maybe even 10 years, has all been on reporting databases, metrics, forecasting, analytics, that kind of stuff. And so a couple of years ago, our department came to us and really wanted to start doing more metric-y type stuff. Our department was kind of a, a switch, kind of a, a combination between operational risk, information security risk, and as an organization, we were more on the lines of qualitative type stuff. Yes, it's green, you know, it's yellow, it's red, and so we wanted to start a slow migration from that into more of a, a quantitative let's put some numbers behind this, let's put some probabilities behind this. And so our first step really was with Tableau to kind of enhance our reporting, enhance our metrics, and to start using that as kind of a tool to take that first step, get management used to seeing probabilities rather than stoplights. Um, and so with my background kind of being in databases, writing a lot of SQL, I had some SAS background, 
that kind of stuff, it kind of fell to me to kind of be the go-to guy. And Tableau was our management's recommendation as far as a tool to use. And so that kind of fell down to me to, all right, figure out what Tableau is. Let's figure out how we can use it. Let's start using it for reporting. And that's really how we got our start with Tableau. One question that I would have for those that are listening with, with regard to Tableau is if what makes what makes Tableau a better tool than, say, Excel to do some of this type of analysis and visualization? Like what, what constraints does Excel have that then enables Tableau to kind of burst through and give you the ability to do more stuff with? So Tableau really, really excels on the visualization side of things. It has some pretty decent graphics. Um, the one nice thing about, about Tableau is that it is built so that really anybody can use it and start using metrics. It's really not for your hardcore, I'm going to go out and do modeling and I'm going to go out and do distributions. It's really built for let's start, let's give somebody a data set and let them start diving into it and then figure it out what it is. It really doesn't take much for if you give me 20 minutes with somebody and, a, and an Excel file, we can put together some de decent visualizations. Um, I've never felt Excel's great. It's got a lot of great uses, but from a visualization standpoint, I've never felt that Excel was very good. And this really excels at the kind of that visualization storytelling piece. Um, it's also got some great database connectors. You can connect it to basically, I mean, almost anything. You can connect it to Excel, you know, your common delimited files, Hadoop, SQL Server, Postgres, Oracle. There's even some limited R server type integration. A lot of a lot of ways to use it. So those are kind of some of the things. I, I really think Excel Excel to me has always been kind of a what if type application where you have a spreadsheet and you want to see what changes in the budget? If the budget changes from 500,000 to 600,000, what does what do my numbers look like? Excel's great at that. I think on the flip side, Tableau is a little bit better at the data visualization and data discovery piece of, of the pie. Do you have problems at work where you won't turn to Tableau? Like, what are the what are the limitations of Tableau? When when would you turn to a different tool? Under you know, like what problems would you face that you'd need a different tool? For me, the biggest one is when it comes to any kind of hardcore analysis. So Tableau has kind of some built-in functions, very similar to kind of your basic Excel function. So if you want to add dates, maybe a little bit of some string functions, that kind of stuff, Tableau's got that built in. But if you really want to do any kind of hardcore data manipulation, you know, that's when I look to SQL, you know, to, to like Toad Data Point or some kind of um, database interface. R, we've got a lot of stuff that we have started to do some R integration with because we can do all that kind of hardcore analysis on the back end and then just, you know, in that modeling on the back end and then just kind of flip it out to Tableau and give it to somebody and they can play around with the visuals and make it pretty. Um, the other thing that I found, one of the other limitations with Tableau is if you do the more traditional reporting, you know, think Crystal Reports where you've got this big table and list, Tableau does not function well under that. It's more of a visualization. So if you want to do pretty charts and graphs, Tableau is great. If you want to do lists, not so great. So it sounds like you're using Tableau sort of as the um, the the icing on the top. If you have to do any of the serious analytics, you'll turn to 
a different tool, but you know, like do just create a new new data point in, in SQL or something like that, mm -hmm. and then use Tableau essentially to to look at those results and look how it, it ends up, right? Yeah. Okay. Could you talk through uh, sort of on a daily basis, like how people are using it? Like, is it more for a, a dashboard, something from a daily perspective, or is it one-offs where you're working with a new data set and you want to explore it and just visualize some things? Like, how does it how does it fit into the daily routine? We actually use it for both of those circumstances. So we'll use it for kind of your more, we'll call it your weekly reporting, your monthly reporting, where we've got something built in Tableau and we have a process that runs in the background and builds our data files and it'll connect directly to a database and so once a month we can go in there and print it out really quickly, give it to the board, give it to management. We still have a lot of people within the organization that like the static, you know, here's, here's a PDF file type stuff. And so we'll use it for that. But we've started to use it more along the lines of, of that interaction where we can publish a dashboard and whether that's using Tableau, we've got an internal instance of Tableau Server, so whether that's using Tableau Server or we'll run a data file and management, we've got several people within management that likes to kind of do some data exploration themselves, so we can package it up, give it to them, and they can start diving into it. And that's the one nice thing about Tableau is you can look at a, a graph and you'll see a spike in a number and you can easily zero in on that spike and start diving into the data and explore from there. So as far as data ex exploration from a very basic standpoint, it's pretty easy. And so we've used that quite a bit where we'll do some of the ad hoc stuff. We'll connect it really quickly. We've built a model in R. We want to kind of dive into it a little bit from a visual standpoint and we can easily keep that out to an Excel file and give it to someone in management and they can kind of play with it themselves. They don't have to understand the hard Python or the hard R or whatever's behind it. They just kind of have a basic understanding of the data and they can put it how they want, throw it in PowerPoint, throw it in their presentation, whatever, and go from there. And you, you did touch on this. So the, the dashboard that you talked about and that internal Tableau server that enables you to essentially push up uh, interactive visualizations and the user can then go and, and filter and click on certain things and interact with that visualization in such a way that they can essentially start to explore the data in their own way, right? They can they can modify what's there by creating filters and all sorts of things like that. It's all through a visual interface, right? Yeah, and that's that's really, to me, that's always been kind of the power. You know, I've played around some of the other visualization tools as well, like Click and some of that stuff, and that's really... The, probably the biggest benefit with Tableau is that it is very, it, yeah, it's basic in its functionality, but it really doesn't take long to, you can spend 10 minutes with somebody and they can be up and running and kind of do their own stuff, for better or worse. And so um, that's really kind of the power of Tableau. And maybe if you could take a moment and talk about the, the interface to actually using Tableau, not from the, the you know, someone consuming a dashboard, but in creating that dashboard, how easy is it? Like, how much, how much training or experience could someone have? You, you mentioned someone could be up and running in 10 minutes, but what is the interface like that you create some of these visuals? How easy is it to use? It is, it's drag and drop. And so um, if you're, you know, just like any typical GUI, it's drag and drop, it's drop downs, um, it's 
it's pretty simple to navigate. Even I alluded to some of the functions that are within Tableau. If you're familiar with Excel functions, very similar syntax. Um, the one nice thing about Tableau is they have a pretty good user community. They've also got a good knowledge base. So if you ever have questions, you can go to, I think it's kb.tableau.com, if I remember right, and you can look up questions, ask other people questions. It's pretty easy. Um, they also have some free online training that you can use, some on-demand training. And so, you know, they've got all sorts of uh, tutorials there, connect, how to connect to a data source, how to create your first visualization. So it's, it's really not too difficult. It's, it's very user-friendly. Tableau does have a, a free version, right? Have you worked with that at all? I have a little bit. The free version is very limited. Uh, if I recall right, it allows you to connect to just Excel and CSV files. Okay. Um, the licensing is kind of steep, but the licensing allows you all those other data connection types. So the yeah. free version works. It, there's no limitations other than what you, kind of data sources you can use. Okay. And so if somebody wanted to get started looking at this tool, playing with it and exploring it, there is that free version, right, that they can load yep. in some CSV and, data and things like that. Yeah, that's correct. And I think uh, you can download the entire version, and I believe it's a 14-day trial, too. You can oh okay. Anything, oh, that's I good believe. to know. Yeah, and and it's and I think it's cross-platform now, right? I, it was primarily yes. for just PCs before, but I believe this past year they opened it up and, and made a Mac version available. That is correct, and we have we have a few years users within our group that use uh, the Mac version now. All right. Well, thanks, Tom, for taking right. the time. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate it. As Tom mentioned in that in that interview. Um, in order to do some some of the more complex or serious data analysis, he, he gets it out of Tableau and he does that in either R or, or perhaps even Python. And, and that brings us to our next topic because once you start doing things in Python and things in R, what you find is that uh, you, you need more processing power, you need more memory, you need more disk space, you need clusters even, and, and to do that, you have to turn to the cloud, right, Bob? Yeah, I mean, e even if you're you, you happen to have you know, the, the power of like a Death Star PC in, in your house, right? Uh, the, the reality is, is there are oftentimes you actually need m multiple systems with those capabilities, even larger capabilities. And you may need to set up a data processing pipeline to get data into the format that you need to eventually do the work on. Um, and th there's a lot you know, to be done with that. So we actually tapped into the, the vast knowledge base of David Seversky. Uh, David works um, over there on, on, on the uh, the left side of the country, uh, do, do, do doing some great work um, in healthcare, and you're, we'll hear from him on exactly how he works with Amazon's AWS services, um, and and just kind of hear from him and how he got started in that. So I'm David Sversky. I'm the manager of the Information Security Program here at a major Pacific Northwest pediatric hospital. I've been here for five years there, and. I'm part of what I sometimes think of as a, a vanishing breed of security professionals there. Um, I come up from an infrastructure background there. I've uh, done Windows administration, Unix administration, network administration, all the, all the infrastructure type bits there. In my current role, I'm responsible for security strategy, risk management, uh, audit and compliance, and compliancy type activities, as well as incident management. And 
my team is outside of the IT infrastructure at my organization. Uh, we're part of the legal and board function, and we're in advisory capacity to IT, to the business, et cetera, there to help the organization make risk-informed decisions. And as part of that, we do a lot of uh, monkeying around with data to try to find out what data helps us make better decisions, how do we analyze that data, and what is the infrastructure that we can bring to bear to make those processes repeatable for our business users. Well, you actually work for a living, which is awesome, um, and, and you do really good things. So th this is our tools episode, and one of the tools that I, that I have just been astounded at your mastery of is is AWS and it and it may it's Amazon Web Services for folks that aren't aware of what the the acronym is and now that may be lumping together quite a number of things into one one tiny acronym there, but but you wield the various tools that Amazon provides so well it's just it's absolutely amazing and I was wondering if you could help our listeners you know understand like what AWS has to offer and things but I guess maybe just to start off with what what would folks need to do to start just getting started with AWS. Well, that's that's a mouthful there. And our journey with AWS and the cloud in general has been a long one. Uh, we started looking at AWS uh, about three years ago there when there was some initial discussions with our organization to uh, do something with cloud, whether it be with uh, Microsoft's Azure or whether it be with Amazon's AWS or even with uh, Google Compute Engine, GCE environments there. We knew we were going to have to do something with that. And the question for my team at the time was, how do we deal with risk management in this infrastructure? Our existing processes, our existing tools were very heavily oriented around on-premises gear, things that we could pull up in our CMDB, our configuration management database, and do a vulnerability scan against, and log into, and look at that infrastructure. We realized that that was not going to be the pattern for much longer, and that we're going to have to deal with an environment where resources come and go very quickly, um, and how do we manage and help the organization manage risk in that environment. So we started a journey at that point there, trying to figure out how do we actually assess risk in these environments and with cloud providers in general. We started looking at uh, some providers, such as uh, had the opportunity to work with the folks from Securosis and had some conversations about what can we do better on that. And we started down that journey, and then we started actually uh, just signing up for a free account, AWS. Uh, Amazon has a marvelous free service there where when you first sign up with a new email address, you get essentially one year of lots of their services, if not most of their services, essentially for free. Uh, that includes things such as EC2, which is their VM in the cloud uh, type of environment, uh, the relational database service where you can run services such as Postgres, MySQL, et cetera, there. Lots and lots of services. I mean, Bob, you were just mentioning there um, the, the variety of services. I just did a quick tally uh, this afternoon. And our environment where we're running really maybe six different production-ish workloads, we're running about 16 different Amazon services right now to support all that. Wow. And so it's quite a lot uh, there. It's really exciting stuff there, but it's it's a lot to manage. Um, and Amazon is a very dynamic environment. And getting started with that and then keeping currency on all that is a very dynamic and challenging task. But it's one that I really enjoy and that my team has really uh, adopted uh, forthwith. I think to your question of how do I get started, um, I think signing up for a free account is certainly a great usage there because you can run a lot for very little money, if not free. 
and getting some hands-on experience is probably one of the, the key aspects there. And just finding something small and useful, perhaps as test infrastructure that you can do in Amazon, is a great place to start. That's been one of the things that we found uh, of immediate value there, is to throw up something that we either could not do on our on-premises infrastructure or things that we could not do as quickly on our on-premises infrastructure. Uh, one of the examples of that being uh, RStudio server. I did a blog post fairly recently talking about how we stood up uh, an RStudio server for training purposes there. I've been running some internal uh, groups there to promote the use of R on, uh, across our organization. And we stand up an RStudio server just to, for the purposes of discussion that's pre-configured with our favorite packages on it there. We stand it up. It has DNS. It has SSL offloading. And then when we're done with the training session, we just delete it and all goes away, and it costs us pennies to run for the hour. And those wow. are the types of you know quick okay. wins that we really, really enjoy. So um, yes, yeah, so you you mentioned like a really good specific use case use case there, but you know you mentioned all like you know you run, you use about 16 of the services, but Amazon's got a lot of things. Like what are some of the different services Amazon does provide and you know for a lot of folks may, may may know this already but folks that haven't had a chance to to kind of work or play in AWS you may not be aware of the breadth of things that they offer so what are some of the maybe core useful things in those set of 16 that that you use that that that, that you might be able to talk about Sure. So Amazon does a pretty good job of breaking it down into categories, but my you know, rough off the back of the hand type of categorization is you have compute services, things that allow you to run infrastructure. And the big granddaddy service of all there is EC2, uh, Elastic Compute Cloud, which is essentially VM in the cloud that allows you to stand up just as you would with VMware or uh, VirtualBox, et cetera, there, virtual infrastructure on Amazon services. And you can run anything from the smallest of instance, which has you know, a single CPU time shared there, to very large, very dense uh, data processing instances there that have you know, dozens and dozens of cores. And some of the larger instances even have hundreds of uh, gigabytes of RAM installed on them. So that's kind of the, the core compute service there, but that then extends to uh, services that you need, such as S3, uh, Simple Storage Service, which is object-oriented storage in Amazon that allows you to store uh, anywhere from a few hundred K to terabytes to petabytes of information uh, very cheaply. Uh, we use that quite a bit. Uh, and then you get to uh, other services such as data processing and uh, data analytics. So there's Elastic MapReduce or EMR, which is Hadoop as a service. Uh, and that service has seen quite a bit of evolution over the past six, 12 months or so. Uh, Spark is now included as a default application that you can install. Uh, we do some data pipeline jobs on that. Speaking of which, that's another service from AWS is data pipelines, which is orchestration. So we use data pipelines to look for the presence of, uh, in our case, log files in particular locations. And when those log files arrive, we start up some uh, Hadoop jobs, actually they're pig jobs, that do some processing of our log files and then stores the output on S3 and uses some additional Amazon services such as simple notification services or SNS to send messages to our uh, private company Slack channel to say this file is ready for pickup, please pull it down. Uh, there's quite a lot going on there. Uh, in addition, there's a whole host of services that are kind of in the DevOps spectrum of things. Uh, so one of the uh, one of the th reasons that I got into security and one of the things that really still excites me about the profession, apart from all the data analysis, is the opportunity to help organizations do what they do better. 
and that's why I'm really interested in movements such as DevOps, whether it be you know straight DevOps or whether it be you call it rugged DevOps or DevSecOps. Uh, the name is somewhat irrelevant there, I would argue. Uh, but there are tools out there such as uh, Chef, and in the case of Amazon Web Services, you have OpsWorks and things such as CloudFormation, which allows you to describe your entire infrastructure, everything from the virtual environment and the subnets and the security groups, uh, all the way to the actual instances running the code, to the locations where that, where that output is going to be stored, all as code. And you can do code checking on that to make sure it actually produces the things you want. And that gives you the ability to tear things down and rebuild them on a moment's notice. So I always know exactly what I have running out there. And then I can tie that into yet more Amazon services uh, for doing things such as configuration management, uh, inspection of those services, etc. It's quite a rich ecosystem and it uh, can be a little daunting to get into, but the benefits for us have been uh, very substantial. So you said that it's a it's an ecosystem that makes Jeff Bezos rich. Okay, I understood. Um, <laughs> it so can you, be, and that, that's actually probably something good to keep in mind when you get in there is to watch your costs. I mean, while Amazon does do a very good job of offering the you know the, the first one's free type of bit with the 12 months of the, the free tier, which has quite a lot of services out there. Um, you can, because it is so easy to stand up potentially very large instances and consume a lot of resources, uh, you are charged for pretty much everything that you use on there. You're not charged for what you don't use, but what you do uh, use is charged. And so you do need to be careful about how much uh, you are using out there. So you, know, you, you covered a, a number of workflows, um, and, and, you, and you just covered one gotcha, which, which is the cost. Are there, are there any other gotchas you know, besides cost? When, when looking at potentially moving some, some, some workloads or, or some processing or just doing, just doing things as an organization in AWS? Well, there's a couple of things there, and I, I view them less as gotchas and more things to be aware of. Uh, so first of all is um, if you're an organization or a person in an organization looking to uh, potentially use AWS, is first to be aware of what your organization stance is on exporting data outside of your premises. Uh, so in our case there, we are using some non-public, but it's not uh, confidential data in our AWS instance. Uh, now we are having discussions about uh, potentially increasing the, the level of sensitivity of data that we can put in AWS, but we're not there yet. And we're certainly not putting our PHI, our protected health information, out on AWS today. Uh, but we are putting some things that are you know, non-public, so log data, for instance, there, which generally isn't sensitive, at least for the types of logs that we're looking at, but it's things that we prefer not to be publicly available. And so if you're an individual uh, looking to go to AWS, make sure you're not putting something out there that is um, your organization would rather not have out there. Because Amazon is very clear about what they will assume responsibility for and what is your responsibility for. Essentially, they will take responsibility for the data center and everything up to the bare metal, but everything beyond that, from the operating system to the configuration to the network groups, et cetera, there is all your responsibility. And they are very clear about that, but uh, it can bite you if you're not expecting that. Another gotcha that I would put out there is, uh, as you mentioned, there's a lot of services, and they change on an almost daily basis, if not actually on a daily basis. You know, we were talking just before we started recording here that you know there are at least 
two different uh, releases that happened just today that are of interest to me. One is the uh, ability to do encryption on one of Amazon's uh, relational database services there. The other one is uh, an enhancement to their directory services where you can now stand up a pay-as-you-go Windows Active Directory infrastructure that's running on Microsoft Windows, um, which is also very exciting there. But it's a lot to keep in touch of. Uh, one of the things that I do for that is, uh, again, it's a, it's a lot of RSS feeds, and Amazon does a pretty good job of publishing their RSS feeds, but I, I do troll that on a daily basis just to keep in touch of what's happening. Wow, okay, so it's a, one more extra thing you have to deal with from, from your daily job j just to kind of keep up with things that you've now made your daily job. So there, there, there's a lot to go on there. Exactly, and I, I suppose one other thing that I should mention there is that as you buy into more of that ecosystem, uh, and it is a very enticing ecosystem, there's a bit of a concern you need to do at least with foreknowledge about the potential for vendor lock-in. Um, if you become dependent upon a lot of Amazon's services or you know thingy as a service there, and then you make a decision or your organization makes a decision that they want to move to, say, Azure, or Google Cloud or any other uh, cloud providers or even on-premise once again, those services are not going to necessarily translate cleanly. And that's maybe an acceptable cost, but it's something you need to do with eyes wide open and that you are buying into that ease of use that Amazon can provide at a potential cost of uh, having more pain should you decide to move to a different platform. You know, so what I'm hearing from that one too is if you know, if if you're going to try to kind of move move to the cloud and and use AWS, you know potentially might want to think along the net, Netflix lines of doing things where they can be in multiple data centers and they have their own workflows separate from a lot of the core AWS services. But you know if you do take advantage of those, just go in with your eyes open and realize that you're locking yourself in just like you might with any kind of internal data center purchase and, and things that you might have done in the past. Yes, and, and though you know there are certainly organizations, both private such as Netflix as well as public, and there are certainly companies there that will help you and can try to help you to maintain some cloud neutrality so that you can move easily from one provider to another. I have not seen great success with those personally. Um, I'm sure there are some folks that have used them well. I think it is a strategic decision to make a partnership with one particular cloud provider and then engineer for that particular solution. Uh, if you take a look at some of the no number one and number two cloud providers, which would be AWS and Microsoft's Azure, those are very different styles of cloud. And it is not, uh, you can't simply take the work that you've done for one cloud provider and slap it into the other and expect things to work just fine. Uh, and that is something that we have deliberately done, but it's it's just a, a pain point that's out there. Cool. So I really appreciate you uh, joining us for this tools episode and giving us a lot of really great information about AWS. And we'll probably hit you up for some of those RSS links for the services from Amazon just so other folks can keep up if they decide to dip their toes into the ecosystem. Happy to do so. The, the water is fairly warm and it's fun to play in. Yeah, so, so Jay, I think it's kind of interesting, right? We've heard about introductory tools like Excel, which almost everybody has access to, even if you think about Google Sheets, which is a, is a very close to Excel clone or even, you know, the, the, the freeware Java versions, you know, that, that exist out there for, 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 you know, for, for the desktops. And, you know, those are great ways to get started because it's kind of almost free to get started, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, then, you know, you talk about, you know, we, we got to hear about, you know, Tableau. Now, it's probably no secret that, you know, for me, Tableau is a very, very expensive tool. Like I've actually had to pay for for that as, as part of an enterprise licensing deal. And I, and I know how much it costs to get that into an organization to deal with a Tableau server. But the reality is, is you can get started with Tableau for free, just like Tom said. Yeah, absolutely. And and there are some benefits to using Tableau too. I mean, it does provide advanced visualization capabilities that you're just not going to be able to do with Excel. Yeah, and also with Tableau, you've got the the ease of use and the uh, very quick ramp up time and and very rapid prototyping that you can do. Right, but at some point you will need to do a lot of data processing. I mean, you know, there there are some things that that are fairly lightweight, and I'm not even saying you need big data to use the cloud. But there are a lot of pipelines that can be done in the cloud, and as David indicated, it can be kind of beneficial even if you're in an enterprise where you've got data that is not exactly public, but is also not exactly private or sensitive, where you need to do some processing or can do it and take advantage of, of, of what the cloud has to offer, whether it's Amazon or other cloud services. And plus with that, once you get past Excel and you, you use Tableau for a while, you realize that you want something more. And that's where we're talking, going to R, going to Python, and probably going to the cloud. So I think that uh, in here we've given a pretty pretty good tour, right, Bob? Absolutely, but but I think we're missing one thing. What's that? There's one thing missing from the data scientist in everyone's life out there, and that would be the gift of data-driven security. The book. The book. Absolutely. It, it, it makes a great Christmas gift, and if you act now, you'll be able to get it just in time for the holidays, and even if it's a little late. Just think about like the smile that you'll put on that data scientist in your life's eyes when he or she opens up this precious, precious tome of data-driven security. <laughs> and it'll be in color. It will absolutely be in color. D -d -d Despite what you may have heard from other folks, it will absolutely be in color. Even if what you get isn't in color, you will eventually get one that is in color. All right. Well, thanks, Bob, for, for doing this tools podcast with me. Jay. It, it was it was amazing and and you know I, I think that we need to make sure that everyone out there has has a great data driven new year and good holidays before that. <laughs>